Chapters seven and eight of the clock struck one by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter seven A Nine Days Scandal. And this was the end of Julian Edermont's high spirits. For twenty years he had dreaded and guarded himself against a violent death, but the moment that the fear had been removed, the end came there was something ironical in the way in which fate had lulled his suspicions only to smite the surer one day he had been rejoicing in the thought that the reign of terror was over the next he lay dead under his own roof-tree and none knew who had slain him they found the body in the study lying near the desk which was broken open and terribly damaged as meg the cook stated his head was smashed in like a pumpkin and near by lay the weapon with which the deed had been done a zulu knobkerry which had been torn from the decorative weapons of the wall dora was an exceptionally brave woman cool in danger and collected in trouble but even she felt qualmish to see that revered head all beaten all splashed with gore the place was like a shambles amid the blood lay a pistol near to the hand of the dead man and many papers were scattered about it tossed in confusion from the bureau mr edermont had been nothing more to dora than her legal guardian he had been a selfish cowardly creature who had done nothing to win her love yet as dora looked at the body lying there red with blood battered and beaten and bruised she felt at once sorry and angered the first that so harmless so far as she knew a creature had been so cruelly done to death the second that his assassin had escaped however as the deed was done and the man was dead no time was to be lost in raising the alarm it was just possible that the murderer might be secured if prompt measures were taken dora knew now that the cry she had heard in the night had been no fancy no dreaming but a terrible reality and the striking of the clock immediately afterwards enabled her to fix the exact time when the crime had been committed however she was wise enough to say nothing on the point until called upon to do so but raising with the aid of meg the dead body on to the sofa she sent the woman across the road to summon joad hardly had she issued the order when the voice of that very person in surprised tones was heard in the drawing-room off the study considerably astonished at his early arrival for it was not yet eight o'clock dora ran into the next room at the door she paused in sheer amazement the glass door of the side of the apartment had no shutters up and was wide open while joad was looking through it apparently as much taken aback by her appearance as she was by his what is it what is it he demanded hastily this door ajar the postern gate open you hear the postern gate open cried dora suddenly the assassin must have escaped that way assassin what do you mean stammered the newcomer turning pale with fright come in at once mr joad and i will show you the sight requires no explanation still amazed joad heaved his fat body through the door and followed dora into the room of death when he saw what had taken place the blood on the floor the dead body on the sofa his jaw dropped his skin turned the colour of a dirty yellow and he stared dumbfounded at the sight so long did he remain in his semi-trance that dora was obliged to shake him by the elbow to bespeak his attention you see mr edermont has been murdered meg found him like that when she came to clean up the study ay i did for sure cried meg her coarse face blanched with dread master did not lock kitchen last night and i found doors all wide 
i came here with broom and dustpan and there i saw he with poor head bashed to jelly joad approached the sofa and examined the body then reverently spread his handkerchief over the disfigured face my poor friend he muttered with emotion and you thought that you were safe does that mean you know who killed him asked dora making a step forward no i do not know who killed him julian was always afraid that he would be murdered by a certain person but who that person is or why he should desire julian's death i know no more than you do dora only believed half of this statement from what she had seen it would appear that joad had been completely in the confidence of the dead man and his denial seemed to be unnecessary however she made no comment on the speech but with sudden suspicion asked joad how it was he had come to the red house before his usual time he guessed what was in her mind and laughed slyly if you think i know anything of this terrible deed you are wrong said he slowly it is not likely i should kill the only friend i have in the world and reduce myself to beggary good heavens mr joad i never accused you of such a thing cried dora indignantly nevertheless you thought it miss carew he replied smoothly and you deemed that i had come thus early to look at my handiwork you are wrong it's my custom to take a short walk to get an appetite for breakfast in crossing the fields i saw to my amazement that the postern door was open knowing that julian was particular to keep it locked i went to see what was the matter i came up to the house and saw the side door was open also in my surprise i uttered an ejaculation and you appeared you know the rest dora did know the rest but she did not know who had killed her guardian however now that a man was on the spot she wished him to take the management of the matter into his own hands but joad declined to saddle himself with any such responsibility he said that dora was a new woman who thought that the weaker sex was the stronger of the two this being the case mr joad suggested that she should prove her boast by assuming the position of the necessary male dora was annoyed at his niggling arguments and disgusted at his laziness but not deeming the matter worth discussing she took all authority into her own hands they proved to be very capable hands she sent a man to canterbury for the police and put them in charge of the body and the house to the inspector she related all she knew and meg followed suit as for joad he interviewed the authorities on his own account and gave the same unvarnished statement as he had given to the two women mr inspector heard all that was to be heard saw all that was to be seen and after leaving a couple of policemen in charge he returned to canterbury to rack his brains as to the whereabouts of the assassin he also detailed a doctor to examine the body and with this doctor came allen the young man appeared haggard and ill his face was pale his eyes were wild and he looked as though he had been sitting up for several nights in succession when he saw dora he made no effort to embrace or kiss her but stood before her with downcast eyes like a detected criminal the girl was profoundly astonished at this conduct ordinarily scott was blithe and light-hearted with a smile and a word for everybody now he looked dejected and worried and had not a word to say even to the girl to whom he was betrothed after a time dora finding him so unsatisfactory took him to her own sitting-room and sat him in a chair then she spoke bluntly and with some anger which was surely natural i am glad to see you allen 
she said abruptly, as I wish to have an explanation of your singular conduct. I have none to give you, he said, flushing. Indeed, then why did you come over today? I heard of this murder for one thing, said Allen slowly, and for another I wish to put an end to our engagement. Dora started. She remembered the prophecy of Mrs. Tice and of the dead man. It had come true sooner than she expected, and in a fashion she did not anticipate. Many things might have arisen to prevent their marriage, but if she and Allen were true to one another, she hoped to overleap all obstacles. But here was the man himself, the man who had vowed a thousand times that he could not live without her, and he proposed to part. She could hardly believe her ears, and from outraged pride tears sprang to her eyes. "'I thought you loved me, Allen said she then flung herself on the sofa and sobbed as though her heart would break dr scott rose suddenly and stood looking down at her his face working with passion he would fain have taken her in his arms he would have assured her of his love and undying fidelity but between him and dora a shadow was standing the shadow of a dead man i do love you dora said allen as soon as he could command his voice i shall always love you but i can never make you my wife but why what is your reason i dare not tell you my reason but you shall learn this much mr edermont told me something which parts us for ever what did he tell you i dare not say dora rose slowly and looked steadily into his face his eyes dropped before hers and he would have turned away but she compelled him to face her Allen, you know who killed Mr. Edermont. No, no, as God is in heaven I do not, he said vehemently. I have my suspicions, but they count as nothing. Don't ask me anything, Dora, for I can tell you nothing. At least tell me why you wish our engagement ended, said she very pale. I cannot, he groaned and sank into a chair. Then listen to me, Allen, she said in a firm voice until you tell me the reason of this conduct i refuse to release you from the engagement i love you you say that you love me so there is no reason why we should part if you will not speak others will and i shall devote myself to finding out the truth when i do find it she added slowly then we may part until then her voice rose you are my affianced husband Allen rose from his chair and walked slowly towards the window where he stood looking out at the green lawn, the brilliant sunshine. In his then mood of self-torture and sorrow, the brightness of the day seemed a cruel contrast to his own dark thoughts. His life was over, his joys were at an end. A deadly trouble, greater than he could bear, had come upon him. Yet the flowers bloomed, the birds sang, the sunlight bathed stretches of green grass and clumps of stately trees in its golden rays as in mockery of his puny grief and trivial ruin the contrast struck him as so ironical that he burst into bitter laughter but the mirth thus wrung from his breaking heart ended in a sigh of regret why do you laugh allen asked dora scared by this cruel merriment why do you not answer i laugh because of the contrast between the joy of nature and our own sorrows he replied turning his pale face towards her and i did not reply because i was thinking you heard what i said 
he took her hands within his own and looked at her anguished face with a great love in his eyes i heard you and i agree said he softly god bless you for a good woman dora for you have behaved nobly many a woman would have cast me off in scorn for my refusal to speak but you are content to wait in hope alas my darling he cried with a burst of sorrow there is no hope there never can be hope you and i are parted as surely as though the one were following the other to the graveyard but allan we have committed no sin why should we part because of the sins of others our trouble comes from the past dora and it was that dead man who revealed it to me did i tell you what he said you would agree with me that the only thing left to us is to kiss and part but i dare not tell you in mercy to yourself i spare you the burden of the secret which has made my life so bitter i know that you act in all kindness allan but you are wrong it would be better to tell me all and let me share your troubles i am strong i can bear anything not this not this replied allan releasing her hands and going to the door it would wreck your life your happiness as it has wrecked mine happiness she said in a tone of despair i have done with that i hope not oh my dear i trust not time may bring you the content that i cannot give you i accept your noble offer dora let us still continue our engagement although we must rarely meet but if you are wise you will not seek to know the secret it will bring you no good only evil for your own sake i keep silent i can do no more i can do no less he paused at the door looking at her sadly she stood in the centre of the room a quiet and sorrowful figure in her black dress allan returned and kissed her twice on the forehead then he left her under the same roof as the dead man and passed out of her life as he thought for ever chapter eight the will of julian edermont after that interview allan came no more to the red house he was aware that his behaviour appeared shameful for no other word was applicable to the conduct of a man who forsook a girl to whom he had been engaged a year and refused to disclose the reason of such desertion yet he could act in no other way for the bar to the marriage as revealed by edermont was so insuperable and terrible that allan could not bring himself to enlighten dora on the subject if things looked black against him he would have to put up with the situation as best he could but to justify his conduct by telling the truth he could not do so in mercy to herself he spared her that revelation but if allan remained absent others did not when the fact of the murder became known quite a stream of morbid people set forth to view the scene of the crime thanks to the presence of the police and the stubborn fact of the high wall these folk were unable to push themselves into the house but they gathered in crowds on the road staring and staring as though they hoped to see through the bricks and mortar and behold the dead body within much speculation was rife as to the cause of the crime but the generally accepted opinion was that edermont had been murdered by a burglar or burglars indeed inspector jedd inclined to this opinion himself this official was a fussy pompous man with an immense idea of his own importance now that an opportunity occurred of displaying that importance he made the most of it what with examining the grounds the house the postern gate 
what with questioning the living inmates and the doctor who had examined the body he was as active as a squirrel and about as useful in his sublime self-conceit he could not see an inch beyond his nose and accepted the first idea that came into his head the bureau was smashed the drawers pulled out and emptied of their contents on these grounds inspector jedd concluded that the death was due to the wrath of an interrupted housebreaker tramp you see he said in his jerky way to admiring subordinates mr edermont rich house full of treasures and loose cash mistaken whim very but tramp hearing such tales in beer shops believes them he climbs over the wall mr edermont has omitted to lock side door tramp enters easily sees bureau thinks money there smashes desk with a bludgeon taken from the wall so the inspector denominated the knob carry mr edermont hears noise comes in tramp startled turns at bay kills mr edermont takes what he can steals keys from dead man and unlocks postern gate gets away there you are what could be simpler none of the inspector jedd's underlings disputed the theory of their chief for the simple reason that they believed in it as they would have believed in any other he chose to put forward joad sneered when this explanation was repeated in his hearing but on the plea that he knew nothing about such matters he made no comment upon it dora also disagreed with jedd but being a judicious young woman she said nothing she herself believed that the death was due to revenge but as yet she was too uncertain of her ground too ignorant of mr edermont's past life to venture an opinion the reading of the dead man's will proved that her insight into the matter was keener than jedd's but before the reading of the will came the holding of the inquest jedd gathered together all the obtainable evidence called all the available witnesses with the result that nothing was discovered likely to lead to the assassin's detection the inquest was held in the dining-room of the red house and everybody who could obtain admittance was present but when dora looked round the crowded room she noted that three persons whom she expected to see were absent these were allan scott because he was her lover and should have been at hand to support her in this trial mr pallant as he had evidently some knowledge of mr edermont's past life and might be curious concerning his violent death and lady burville because the sight of her in church had been as dora truly believed the genesis of all these woes but none of the three put in an appearance and their absence gave dora food for reflection the first witness called was meg gance the cook who deposed that she was usually locked up in her kitchen with bedroom attached by the deceased on the night of the second of august he had admitted to lock her up as usual why she did not know it was her custom to rise at seven and wait till mr edermont came to let her into the main portion of the house so that she could go about her work she was general servant as well as cook on the morning of the third she rose as usual but mr edermont never came to her surprise she found the door leading to the front of the house was unlocked she passed through with broom and dustpan to seek the study which she usually cleaned the first thing in the morning there she saw mr edermont lying dead near the desk with his head smashed the bureau was smashed also the drawers were pulled out and their contents untidily tumbled on the floor near the dead body lay a pistol and a stick the knob carry which had been taken from the wall at once she called miss carew the witness stated that she had heard no noise during the night she had noticed no tramps or suspicious characters looking round the house of late 
the second witness was dora carew who stated that she had retired as usual on the previous night at half-past nine leaving mr edermont to lock up her guardian usually locked the door which closed the passage on the first floor leading to her bedroom on this night he did not do so although she was not aware of the fact until summoned by meg the next morning during the night she was awakened by a cry as it seemed to her an appeal for mercy she listened but could hear nothing further and thinking she had been dreaming she had lain down and gone to sleep again when she awoke in the morning she was called by meg to see the dead body she was aware that mr edermont considered himself a threatened man but she had no knowledge of the person or persons whom he feared in reply to a question this witness stated that she heard the cry immediately before the clock in the hall struck one she believed that the murder had been committed at that time the third witness was lambert joad who gave his evidence as follows he was accustomed to leave the red house at nine o'clock every night for his cottage which was on the other side of the road on the night of the murder he left as usual and heard the gate locked behind him he went to his cottage and took his supper and read later on he was joined by mr pride a tutor in a local private school who was like himself a classical scholar pride talked with him till after two o'clock in the morning when he went away the witness was up at seven to take a walk before breakfast as was his custom in crossing the fields he noticed that the postern door was open astonished at this and knowing that mr edermont was particular about keeping the door closed he went across to see what was the matter on entering through the postern gate he went to the house to gain the front door he had to follow the path between laurel hedges which passed by the glass door of the disused drawing-room off the study he saw that this door had no shutters up on the glass as was customary and was standing wide open he uttered an exclamation of surprise which brought miss carew into the drawing-room she called him in and he saw the dead body and the smashed desk the witness believed that edermont's fancy of being threatened with a violent death was monomania he recognized the revolver as the property of the deceased the fourth witness was dr chambers of canterbury who deposed that he had been summoned by inspector jedd to examine the body of the deceased the head was smashed in by a violent blow on the left temple and death must have been instantaneous after giving some technical evidence relative to the injuries inflicted this witness concluded by stating that from the condition of the body he was satisfied the crime had been committed between twelve and one o'clock in the morning this assertion bore out the statement of miss carew that she had heard the hall clock strike one shortly after the cry for mercy had awakened her the fifth and last witness was inspector jedd he deposed to the state of the body the state of the bureau and the finding of the knob carry and pistol evidently the criminal had entered the house through the side door of the drawing-room which was wide open and had retreated the same way no clue had been obtained likely to lead to the detection of the assassin the postern gate usually kept locked had been found open on the morning after the crime several tramps had been arrested on suspicion but one and all had explained their movements on the night of the second no one but the deceased knew what was in the bureau therefore the witness was unable to say if anything was missing these five witnesses having given their evidence the coroner summed up after which the jury brought in a verdict that julian edermont had been murdered by some person or persons unknown 
it was the only conclusion to which they could come in the face of such scanty facts as had been placed before them and all present departed with the unsatisfactory feeling that the death of mr edermont was a mystery and what is more was likely to remain a mystery and so a very trying and exciting day came to a conclusion mr edermont was duly buried in chillum churchyard and again dora noticed that allen was not present at the funeral when she returned to the house mr carver the long lean lawyer from canterbury produced the will of the dead man and read it to herself and joad as mr edermont had no relations these two were the only people likely to be interested in the disposition of his property the will was a peculiar one and reflected the lifelong fear of edermont since he had been relieved of that fear by the visit of mr pallant he had not troubled to execute another testament so the document read by mr carver showed how vivid had been his presentiment of meeting with a violent end the result had justified his fears the property included the red house and its surrounding acres the pictures and silver and also the rental of three farms amounting to two hundred a year all this house pictures silver and income was left to dora on condition that she remained at the red house and permitted lambert joad to continue his life there on the same footing as during the life of the deceased the rest of the property consisting of stocks and shares and various investments amounted in all to some fifty thousand pounds and now came the surprising part of the will this large sum of money was left unconditionally to such person or persons as should discover and punish the assassin of the testator for years said the maker of the will i have been threatened with violent death by a certain enemy sooner or later in spite of all my precautions he will succeed in carrying out his wicked purpose in that event i am content to reward the person who punishes him or whomsoever he employs with the sum of fifty thousand pounds the story of my life which sets forth how i incurred the wrath of this enemy will be found in my bureau sealed with my seal let my ward dora carew read the document and discover the assassin so that she can at once revenge my death and inherit my money but in any case she is provided for as is lambert joad and the bulk of my estate must go to him or her who punishes my enemy then followed the usual clauses ending the will the signatures of the testator and of two witnesses when carver had finished there was a dead silence which was broken by the lawyer himself it is a strange will said he taking off his spectacles and hardly worded in a legal manner but it holds good nevertheless so i can only recommend you miss carew or you mr joad to gain fifty thousand pounds if you can will that sum actually be paid over to the discoverer of the assassin cried joad with sparkling eyes my dear sir said carver with a solemn smile on his lean face the man or woman who discovers the murderer of my late client will receive he smacked his lips fifty thousand pounds End of chapter 7 and 8